Welcome to episode 9 of the Wetwired Podcast. Disinfo Wars, the Ukraine edition. I'm Sean Andes. And I'm Julian Paul Butt. I think before we get going with the episode, Jules, I want to talk a minute about uh, what's been happening with the Freedom Convoy. Or I guess the, the, the whole U.S. trucker convoy, because other I things have happened. I thought it was happened. the People's Republic of the Convoy. Well, that's the thing, is that, so two convoys set off, kind of, but <laughs> there's only one left. The The Freedom Convoy fizzled out before it really got going, and then rolled itself into the People's Convoy, or what's left of it. Well, they've made it all the way to Maryland. And they have been cruising the DC, the, the beltway around DC all day. That's it. That's all they've done. <laughs> Literally nothing else has happened. They're just driving. I, I've seen a bunch of people tweeting that have been following them on Telegram channels and then listening in on, uh, on some of their, uh, their voice communications and. One of the biggest frustrations they've had is that during rush hour traffic, well, I mean, how rush hour was it? It's Sunday, but it's always heavy traffic in that area. Yeah. They were frustrated because the convoy got split up because traffic was so heavy. So they basically <laughs> just filtered into the heavy traffic flow that was already there. <laughs> so they just became traffic. <laughs> they just became more traffic. Yeah, that was it. They're just basically cruising the highway around DC. 2022 karma. Uh, that's her Twitter handle, has been following Michael Protzman for quite a long time since he initially started gathering a flock in Dallas to wait around for the resurrection of JFK. Well, Protzman wasn't happy just sitting in Dallas and decided to join the convoy himself. I'm not sure where they met up, if he just went out to Maryland and, and connected with them there, but he showed up with about 20 of his group or so. 2022 Karma tweeted this. Michael Protzman, a.k.a. Negative 48, whose group joined the People's Convoy, have said that they're getting a lot of people flipping them off while driving on the Beltway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're specifically flipping off Protzman and Negative 48 or just the convoy overall. Yeah. Probably just the convoy. They probably The people flipping them off probably have no idea who he is in relation to the rest of that group. That's really incredible. I, I saw a, a great tweet where it was a video of a stage where they had a guy talking and it was a, it was a big fuck off stage with professional equipment and all the rest of it. Yeah. That and, was a freedom convoy. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, there was like one guy in the audience. <laughs> I, th I think something like 15 people showed up or something. I mean, it was ridiculous. So if anybody listening has no idea who Michael Protzman is and doesn't know what the hell Negative 48 is, we covered them a few episodes back, sort of in a in a superficial kind of way. You can find out more by checking out the QAnon Anonymous podcast. They covered Negative 48 uh, much more significantly a while back. I don't remember what episode it was, though. Russian Info Wars. I don't know. I, I was apprehensive to, to ever use that title. I think we need to actually hire somebody to do our titles because it feels like we're we're getting a little Alex Jonesy there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I could have done a play on words and done Russian disinfo wars. <laughs> that was that was in my notes too. Well, I mean, uh, we, we can we can turn some frogs gay if, if that'll make you happy. 
getting cut. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) By now, I'm sure everybody has heard something about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, whether you're trying to follow it or not. I've been paying pretty close attention and trying to keep up with it as much as I can. Other people have been trying to avoid it as much as they can. I I have total sympathy for everybody who's just trying to tune it out. Absolutely. I I, I don't think that uh, this is this is not a question of morality right now. But for those of us have, who have been trying to keep up on it, we have to acknowledge that this is an incredibly fast-moving situation that's constantly changing. And we know that there's no way we can keep up with the on-the-ground movements of Russian troops, the Ukrainian military who's trying to stop them, or all the terrible things that have been happening to the citizens of Ukraine who are just caught up in it all. If you have, if you have been paying attention, but only recently, here's a little background. In March and April of 2021, Putin began massing troops and vehicles near the Ukrainian border. This caught everyone's attention because the last time Putin built up troops like this was in 2014, and back then he used those troops to annex the Crimea region from Ukraine. But troop mobilization was only a small part of Putin's plan, and I really think that this is just a small part. I I don't Yeah, it's not going to stop here. I, I don't think so, yeah. He's been inciting unrest and supplying the separatists in the Donbass region, which is the eastern part of Ukraine, for years. Anybody who is uh, averse to looking at a map, you'll see that this is the region that actually borders the Russian Federation. On February 21st, 2022, Putin officially recognized the independence of the Donetsk People's Republic, the DPR, and the Luhansk People's Republic, the LPR. So these are two... Uh, specific areas inside of this Donbass region that Putin and the officially the Russian government, because he is the Russian government, have recognized as being independent states. So he's allowed them effectively to secede from Ukraine. Yeah. This uh, official recognition of a, of a nationhood or statehood is something that's done at the UN typically, where the Russian ambassador to the UN was literally the only person recognizing these two countries as as, as independent from Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. The only, not even China. Not Belarus. I don't even know. Does Belarus at the UN at all? I have no idea. I but don't know. China for sure is, and they didn't back up r- the Russian Federation. Yeah. The Ukrainian government, for its part, regards both the DPR and LPR as terrorist organizations. Probably rightfully so, and considers those regions to be temporarily occupied areas of Ukraine. The Russian Federation Council, essentially the Russian Federation Senate, authorized Russian troops to enter both regions. Now, issuing the, that authorization to invade Ukraine from Russia's Senate is most likely meant to give the whole thing some sort of an air of deliberation and authority. It's all very serious. They talked about it. They planned it. There was a vote. Yeah, I, I'm sure it was unanimous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's only it only has this air of deliberation and authority or seriousness unless you realize that the Senate in Russia doesn't actually have any real power without Putin. He tells them what to vote on and how to vote on it. He's the Senate. So Putin later announced the invasion himself in a pre-recorded message. This is already <laughs> this has been without a doubt confirmed that his message saying that Russian troops were going to engage in a special military operation was actually recorded days before because he was wearing the same damn suit 
that he wore in a different uh, in a different video that was released days before. He's in front of the same background, sitting in the same chair, in front of the same table, with the same clothes on. Hey, that's just efficiency. It is efficiency. Yes. <laughs> Knock out all the things that you plan to do for the year all at once. Yeah, in your Putin press is releases. nothing if not efficient. So we talked about this amongst our, you know, between the two of us about whether or not we should do an episode about Ukraine. And I definitely had reservations about this because I don't want to weigh in, you know, in some sort of armchairs kind of way about a war. Because as it is, the social media landscape is bad enough. Basically, all the social media accounts that were anti-lockdown and now anti-vax have all turned into pro-Russia accounts. And all the people who were follow the science and then later turned into wear a mask regardless of the guidelines, even though everybody's taken, uh, you know, just about every local government has removed mask mandates. All those accounts have turned into staunch pro-Ukraine, hardcore military interventionist accounts. I am nowhere in there. That has nothing to do with anything I want to do. Yeah, for sure. But the one angle that really did seem like it matched up with what we're mostly doing over here is talking about this insane disinformation and propaganda campaign that's been running. It's not just running, not, not just the disinformation coming out of Russia, but the, the propaganda that's coming from third parties or the, the stories that turn into propaganda, whether they're true or not, that are coming out of Ukraine or from people who are supporting Ukraine. And the, and the mix that we're getting from all these different narratives blending together in, in camps that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be uh, saying one thing or another. Yeah, there are a few surprises in here, and we'll, we'll, we'll cover a couple of those where people are doing things that are unexpected. You might expect them to be totally pro-Russia, and it turns out that they're just hot for Zelensky. You, you just don't know until you know. The first one we're going to talk about is the Russian disinfo campaign and how Putin has been trying to set a kind of framework for how he wants everybody to understand what he's doing from the very beginning. I think he doesn't have much hope that the the rest of the world is going to believe any of the bullshit that he's that he's putting out there. But he does have a good shot at convincing the citizens of the Russian Federation that what he's doing is legitimate because they don't have a lot of outside information access. They didn't have before and they have even less now. One of the first things that Putin has done is he's talked about the invasion of Ukraine as a special military operation. This is just one way that he's he's basically just crowding the field with one bit of disinformation after another. This tactic is pretty effective because it keeps everybody responding to him. He says some crazy shit, and then everybody else moves on to that thing. And then he says something else, and then they all move on to that thing. And then he gets somebody else to repeat the message. And now everybody's responding to that. It's constantly keeping people on their heels. It's like throwing a ball over somebody's head so they have to go run and catch it. Yeah. The whole time you're running to go catch the ball or to go pick it up from wherever it went, he's doing something because you're chasing the ball. <laughs> yeah. That's how these operations are working. From the beginning of his troop buildup on Ukraine's border, he was trying to give it cover by calling it a training exercise or somehow it's just a normal military operation. Some of that cover was semi-legitimate because at the same time period, he was uh, ordering the military to, to engage in training exercises with troops in Belarus. 
So this was just another training exercise with the yeah. troops the at Russia's sort of southernly eastern border or western border. But after he gets into Ukraine, then he starts talking about a whole bunch of things. And the one the one that is just oh, totally over the top, but he just keeps sticking with it yeah. to the point that there was an article in Sputnik, which is obviously state-run media in Russia, about this just today, about denazification, that this is the ultimate agenda for, for Putin and, and his invasion, is to somehow remove all the Nazis from Ukraine. So he's claiming that Ukraine is controlled by Nazis, and he's going to free the Ukrainian people from their oppressors. Now, all of this in spite of the fact that the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, Zelensky is Jewish. And, but that doesn't and, seem to matter to anybody. And he had family who died in the Holocaust. How any of that can make sense to anyone, it is really it's almost unthinkable that anybody would buy this. But I don't really have any way of knowing if anybody in Russia actually knows that Zelensky is Jewish. I have no idea. <laughs> How would I even yeah. confirm that? So the, the next thing that Putin has done, I mean, these aren't in order. This is just the order that we're talking about them. It's not the order that they happened. Is something that we mentioned just a moment ago, and that's officially recognizing these two states in the Donbas region as independent of Ukraine. All of this after years of inciting unrest and supplying them with weapons and basically just riling these people up to, to rebel against Ukrainian, against Ukrainian federal authority, then to officially recognize them as independent states. This ties in closely with the uh, the accusations that Putin has made that Ukraine, as in the rest of Ukraine, outside of the Donbas region, has been committing acts of genocide by attacking the Russian-speaking population in this Donbas region. And again, now now Putin gets to be the peacekeeper. That somehow the Nazi story has nothing to do with this story. It doesn't ever yeah. come up whatsoever. It's a whole other but- story. It's a whole other story, and they're just it's just whichever one you you hear that day is the one you're responding to. But in this story, it's about ethnic cleansing and genocide on the part of the federal government in Ukraine that they've been bombing and and shelling this population for eight years. This tweet is going around right now that shows I, I don't know I don't it's 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 a, a major city in this Donbas region, but I don't know if it's in the Donetsk or the Luhansk area. Yeah. But it's, it's a major city. And this is kind of a, this is a before and after scene. The first one was, was a scene that was taken just a couple of months ago or, or a photo that was taken just a couple of months ago that just so shows a regular town. There's nothing unique, you know, it's just a town. Yeah. With some buildings, you know, 10 stories tall or so and some shorter buildings around it. And it seems like a nice day. Nothing really to speak of at all. But the caption on the photo is that, you know, this is such and such place in the Donbass region after the supposed eight-year bombing campaign by Ukraine. <laughs> and then another one was a, a city that the, the Russian troops had just rolled through. And it was a picture of what it looks like eight days after the, the Russians had invaded. And it was totally bombed out. Uninhabitable. There was rubble everywhere burned out buildings. That's what it looks like when a city is in the middle of a bombing campaign. Not that first photo. The crazy thing about this story is that it's very easily verifiable as 
But see, that's the thing. Anybody who can verify it, I don't think is the audience. Yeah. I think the audience is Russians. Russians and then all of the um, hardline Putin supporters in the West. This is just confirmation bias for them. They want to believe these things. They don't believe in any of the fact checking or in the in the the validity of any of the fact checking. They don't think any of that's true. They think that's the disinformation, all the fact checking. They see it as a, a as a grand conspiracy against this, you know, the last independent ruler of a sovereign nation in the world, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, you also you also see in this kind of dis- disinformation the first first on the scene kind of uh, um, response where. As long as you're the first person to report whatever it is, it doesn't matter what fucking corrections came afterwards because people read the first thing, not the footnote in the next issue of the newspaper that says, never mind. And -hmm. that's the same thing going on with this kind of disinformation where it doesn't matter if it's true because by the time anybody gets around to fact checking it or correcting it, then it's already too late. It's already out and believed. Yeah, it's already in people's heads. And and repeated too by the yeah. way that the 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 um, news networks such as Reuters and AP works, everybody's just copying off of everybody else's homework for half of these articles. This might seem as sort of a tangential point, but I think we can also remember that Crimea is a region that has seen one upheaval after another over the last few centuries. Fairly recently, the USSR. And, and this is also just so you don't think Putin just invented all of these tactics. Fairly recently, the USSR, right after World War II, so this is under Stalin's rule, forcibly removed nearly 200,000 Crimean Tatars from that region and confiscated their homes and property. The official Soviet story at the time was that the Crimean Tatars were voluntarily resettled in Central Asia. So all these people who had lived here for quite a long time just decided to up and move to Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan. A place where they were the demographic majority. It was basically their homeland. So they decided that, you know, they wanted to see what living like an immigrant was like. So they're going to go to (laughs) Central Asia. (laughs) The really salient part here is that the Soviets didn't stop with this forced resettlement. They renamed the cities, the towns, all the roads, rivers, forests, any place name. And removed, basically what they were doing is they were taking anything that was ethnic Crimean Tatar in, in name and replaced it with a Russian name. And then they just removed the term Crimean Tatar entirely from all official documentation. This was literally an order that came, you know, possibly directly from Stalin, but or at the very least from Stalin's government and, and was disseminated everywhere, that nobody was allowed to use the words I know I bring them up a lot, but this reminds me of Turkey and the Kurds. In Turkey, you have about 20% of the population in present-day eastern Turkey, uh, what is known as northern Kurdistan, is a place where Kurds don't exist and the language doesn't exist. They're mountain Turks. You can't even recognize Kurds (laughs) in Turkey. Yeah. As opposed to the hill Turks and the valley Turks and the river Turks. They're like (laughs) hobbits. (laughs) (laughs) One of the last things that that Putin has done to really cinch all this together and to motivate his troops is to lie to the soldiers directly as well. 
And this goes back to the comment that I made earlier about who the audience for all these stories is. And I think that it's Russians. I think that the Russian citizens are the audience for this because everybody else can find out that it's bullshit. They don't have as good of yeah. a shot and it's worse now. A lot of the troops, right? I mean, a lot, who knows how many a lot is, but more than a few of the Russian troops who've surrendered or been captured in, in during this invasion have been claiming that they've been totally misled about the purpose of the military operation. Some of them have been told that it's a peacekeeping mission. Others say that they thought it was all the training exercise. It, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to tell if they're telling the truth or if they were coached to say this. Yeah. Like if you're captured, say it's this thing, because then it just keeps repeating this, you know, this this message. And if enough people keep telling the lie, then it becomes everybody's accepted truth. Maybe I'm not I'm not sure if this is all part of Putin's big psyop. But I do have a hard time believing in believing that any Russian soldier really believes the training exercise story. That one's that's a hard one to swallow. I, I could I really could be missing something obvious, but putting myself in as 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 much as is possible in that position, where here I am and uh, you know in some armored personnel carrier or something, and we're crossing the border into Ukraine. And people are speaking Ukrainian now and not Russian. Now I'm in another country. Do I still think this is a training exercise? <laughs> yeah. I, all those people are crisis but actors. But hell, maybe they thought that they were going to do a training exercise <laughs> in Ukraine, just like those other troops did a training exercise in Belarus. Maybe that's the something obvious that, I should, that I'm missing right now, is that they, they really do think that maybe they think the relationship between Russia and Ukraine is a lot better than the rest of the world. And so they actually did think it was a training exercise. That's possible. That, I, I suppose. I mean, it, it exists out there as a possibility in the universe, I guess. We could consider the possibility that w when they're being sent in there, may maybe they got instructions, they said, and, and their commander said, wake up, uh, we're heading out on the road today, that they're, they're just on the road in these personnel carriers or whatever it is, and their commanders simply are telling them, we're heading out, you don't need to know what's going on. That is also a possibility, because maybe they were involved in a training exercise on the eastern border. or No, nah, they were just camped out there. There's satellite photos of all that. Yeah, they were just parked. Exactly. So maybe they were camped out there for their training exercise. No, I mean, exercise, like, and training exercises, vehicles moving around and doing things. And yeah. they weren't moving around doing things. They were just parked. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? This is from an article uh, on Time.com from February 25th, 2022. As Russian troops closed in on Kiev and battered the Ukrainian capital with missile strikes on Friday, rumors spread by Russian state media said that Volodymyr Zelensky had fled the country. That evening, as he had been doing for weeks, Zelensky sought to debunk the Russian disinformation narrative directly. In a defiant video posted on social media, he filmed himself by the Bankova, Ukraine's equivalent to the White House, flanked by the Prime Minister and other top officials. We're all here. We're in Kiev. We defend Ukraine, he said. Our military are here. Our citizens and society are here. We're all here defending our independence, our state, and this is how it's going to be. Amid the Russian invasion of their country, the Ukrainian government has treated the information battlefield as a real front line. In Ukrainian, English, and Russian, top officials have relentlessly put out their own information on social media. 
provided regular updates, shot down rumors, and warned of what they what they say are new false Russian narratives before they can fully take off. Citing intelligence Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba, on Friday warned that Russia was planning a massive false flag operation to accuse Ukraine of human rights abuses. Don't trust fakes, he tweeted. Ukraine defends its land in a just and defensive war. Unlike Russia, we don't target kindergartens and civilians. The defense ministry has similarly tried to get ahead of rumors by releasing frequent updates on its operations. There are already rumors that are circulating that I've come across just recently in the past day or two that Russia has been preparing deep fakes that are going to depict Zelensky surrendering. And obviously wow. this is meant just as a morale explosion for the Ukrainian troops. Right. I'm surprised that deep fakes happen, happened yet. I'm surprised that there's not way more I of know. them in general. I, I, like, I really am. I've seen the deep fakes that have been put out as, you know, as jokes or as proof of concepts. They're incredibly believable. There was one that I saw not too long ago and it was, uh, it was Tom Cruise declaring that he was running for president. <laughs> it was, it was very convincing. Really? But the whole thing was, was like I said, it was like a proof of concept. You knew from the get-go that it was not going to be a real video clip. It, there was discussion about the process, how the deepfake was created. You knew it was a deepfake, and it was still convincing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think a deepfake would probably be the least surprising thing that could happen next. I've been expecting the, the, yeah. the Zelensky deepfake for days now. Instead, all we're going to get are so far, or all we have been getting so far, gameplay recordings from Arma 3. Over and over and over again. <laughs> well, I mean, we could we could even get a deep fake of him being killed. He's I read recently that he's already had something like three assassination attempts during this war. Yeah, alone. it's hard to tell how much of that is true. Too, I I, I have a hard time. It's it's hard I have a hard say. time repeating any of these stories because I don't know if he's if he's if that's exaggerated. I don't know like what constitutes an assassination attempt. Is that hearing yeah. hearing credible credible information that an assassination is being attempted? Does that count as surviving an assassination attempt? I don't know. I don't know how. I don't yeah. know what's how. I don't know anything. <laughs> That's really what it is. I don't yeah. know anything to to step out of our our show for a second and talk about the show. All we're doing in this episode is talking about the things that are bullshit, and we know they're bullshit. <laughs> We're going to talk about why they're bullshit in some cases or how we know they're bullshit, that sort of thing. The other stuff, like there's plenty of things that I don't know if it's true or not. I have no idea. It's hard to tell in the fog of war. A lot of this has to do with the nature of social media in the first place. You really have to ask the first time when you see something and you feel that reaction about to rise up that, oh, my God, this is outrageous. You have to, I think you really have to ask yourself before anything else, what am I even looking at? What is this? How do I yeah. know it's what it seems? Like this photo, there have been so many photos that have been pulled from Syria or Palestine or you know, someplace else where there was explosions or military conflict and then just sent out into the world as if it was a shot of, you know, day in the life in Russian occupied Ukraine. And they're, they're not. I mean, people discover this later on, but not before these things get shared tens of thousands of times. 
Wouldn't it be great if there there was a, a required class in high, public high schools for investigative journalism? I actually think that that would be a terrible thing. <laughs> I, I, I think oh. it would be terrible. <laughs> Why I think is it would that? be terrible because what kind of fucking world is that where everybody has to become a citizen journalist to read the news? You can't expect everybody to be responsible for all their own fact checking. But then again, who do you who do you trust with being the the holder of the accurate information? Yeah, you're gonna trust yeah. fucking Zuckerberg. Who do you trust? Yeah, I, that's an opaque decision making process about how they go about deciding what gets what gets tagged with a you know some kind of a suspicious claim or something like that. The the kind of content that gets shared, and this is this is the algorithm doing the work here is sensational content. Understanding the motivation of the platform itself is to keep your eyes on the platform as long as possible. Yeah. If, if Facebook had their way, you'd be sitting there pissing your pants and scrolling your newsfeed. That's what they want you to do. <laughs> they want you to stay there as long as possible. They don't want you to get up yeah. and go anywhere. Yeah, you know, They want you to just keep clicking like or hate or whatever on every post you see and sharing things. And Twitter is exactly the same. I mean, they're all the same. I mean, TikTok is the worst, being that it is probably the most effective algorithm out there. That's They want you there as long as they possibly can keep you. Basically, so they can show you an ad. They don't give a shit about you being oh, yeah. on the platform. They give a shit about showing you enough ads. Because <laughs> that's literally where all the money is coming from. So along these lines, the uh, you know with the, with the Arma 3 uh, gameplay recordings, we we saw this early on and early on <laughs> anyway we we saw this early on <laughs> we, uh especially on TikTok where a um and we'll get into the 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 ghost of of Kiev a little bit later on but there was a it was a video clip that was supposedly a dog fight between a Ukrainian fighter pilot and a Russian fighter pilot it was very quickly identified by anybody who's ever seen a video game as video game footage, and then by people who play Arma Three as being just a screen uh, gameplay recording f directly from the game. So this is a tweet from uh, Cheyenne Sardarazada, and I'm so sorry if I just butchered your name. He's a journalist at the BBC who reports on disinformation and conspiracy theories. This TikTok video has generated 6.2 million views, claiming to show an airstrike from the war in Ukraine. It's from the military video game Arma 3. TikTok has so far drawn the highest viewership of false and misleading videos in this war. So I remember playing Call of Duty. Gosh, I think it was maybe the third one. And there was a mission in there where you were basically like doing targeting overhead as you're providing support for a bunch of uh, of spec ops guys that are on the ground and yeah. they're painting targets and you're blowing shit up from the air. And it looked yeah. just like this, this screen grab from the game. That was, I don't know. I think that that, that particular game, I think I was playing that about 10 years ago, a fucking decade. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it looked just like this. It looked exactly like this. Identical. All right, let's, let's finish up this Time article. These efforts to hamstring the Kremlin's disinformation campaigns come as U.S. officials warn that Russia is ramping up efforts to target Ukrainian soldiers in order to discourage them and induce surrender through disinformation as Kiev braces for attack. Quote, Our information indicates Russia is creating a disinformation campaign 
by publicizing false reports about the widespread surrender of Ukrainian troops, a U.S. official told Time in a statement on Friday, adding that the intelligence also, quote, indicates that Russia plans to threaten killing the family members of Ukrainian soldiers if they do not surrender. Jesus Christ. Russia, which has a long history of using this type of hybrid warfare to take a psychological tr- toll, used a familiar playbook to sow confusion and doubt in the days before the invasion. These included disinformation campaigns meant to stir panic. In one case, Ukrainians received text messages on their phones alerting them that ATMs had stopped working, false claims that were quickly dispelled by Ukraine's cyber police force. I got to interrupt here. I love that it's called Ukraine's cyber police force. It takes me back to like some kind of 1980s uh, sci-fi film. How do you hear cyber police force and not think about Tron? (laughs) (laughs) i'm imagining that goofy biker helmet right right it's like like zelensky is on the motorcycle (laughs) (laughs) this recalled a similar effort in 2014 when a mass text campaign targeted ukrainian troops fighting pro-russian separatists in the eastern part of the country with messages like leave and you will live Nobody needs your kids to become orphans. And Ukrainian soldiers, they'll find your bodies when the snow melts. That one's fucking brutal. (laughs) That's fucking dark. Jesus Christ. Leave it to Russians and Ukrainians to have the most bitter, dark things to say. I I don't know how they put those words together, (laughs) but... uh, I think that really speaks to how... We can have a whole lot of things in common and still have this cultural gulf where there are things that I've come across, like comments from Russians in English and from and from Ukrainians in English. And some of these things are startling, not because they're they're shocking or anything like that, but because in some cases I just don't get them. I saw a uh, a, a tweet recently. It was somebody was sharing a video. And I don't even know what I was looking at in this video, but it was two, it was two Russian guys and a fucking bear. It's on the wet wired uh, page. Like the, there was a guy and this is kind of a, of, of a story in itself, but I was just cruising Twitter as you do. And somebody had responded to a comment that I was reading. I was reading the replies, which is always a bad idea for the most part. But in this case, I came across this video. There was a Russian guy hanging from a branch and there was another guy punching him in the stomach. But in the background, there's a bear and the bear is just bouncing up and down on this other branch, making the branch that the guy's hanging from go up and down. (laughs) And I don't, I mean, I don't know. There's no explanation at all about what's going on. I have no idea. They could be training for a circus act. It could just be... We don't even know... This could we, just be a Friday afternoon. I don't know. We don't even know what rank in the Russian military that well, bear right, exa- Well, the bear is obviously in charge. <laughs> but then, the, 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 so the rest of the story is, I retweeted this without knowing anything about the dude. And then I quickly saw that he's not exactly my kind of guy. I'll leave it there. Rutro. He's... I mean, it's like crass humor. He's... He seems like pretty unashamedly pro-Putin. I don't know what the angle, his angle was with the video, but I did notice that 
he posts a lot of funny videos. They're funny in, in a ridiculous kind of what the fuck is going on? What did I just watch kind of way? I, so I, I retweeted it and because I'm, I'm not going to back off of that. I thought it was a funny video. It was so, so he, funny. He commented <laughs> to my retweet and liked it. And then I went and looked at his stuff. This was the wrong order. I probably should have looked at his stuff first. But then I looked at it and I was like, yeah, no thanks. I don't like anything that this guy is saying at all. So I just replied, had a look at all your recent posts and I can't find anything that I agree with there. But sometimes you post funny shit. <laughs> because I just wanted to leave it there. I wanted to make it clear. Like, I am not a partisan. Yeah. Don't don't friend me or follow me or anything like that. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. But keep up the bear shit. Keep posting the videos. <laughs> <laughs> This time around, encrypted messaging chats, which are decentralized and less constrained than social media platforms, have taken on a bigger role. Pro-Russian propaganda has especially been pushed out on Telegram channels, which, much of it, quickly showing up in the range of English-language right-wing groups. Russian troops surrounded Kiev. Zelensky may have fled. Russia is fighting not against the Ukrainian people and army, but against Nazi battalions and foreign mercenaries, read a message that was forwarded in dozens of U.S. right-wing telegram channels on Friday. It's incredible to watch modern-day information warfare evolving in real time, says Cindy Otis, a disinformation researcher and former CIA analyst. It's too early to tell how effectively the Ukrainian efforts to debunk Russian disinformation narratives are working, she says noting that their success will depend on whether they're breaking through their intended audience. I think the first thing that I want to say about that article is that it was written on fucking February 25th. It sounds like an eternity ago. That really should sink in. That was the 25th. Yeah. How is it that that seems like it was such a long time ago? That's like just a bit over a week. It feels like it's been a lifetime. We're recording this on March 6th. <laughs> that is a week and two days ago. Yeah. So yeah. a point of, you know, like <laughs> to give some perspective about the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it has just started. This is not something that we're going to wrap up just in time for the, the next episode of whatever fucking show everybody's watching or just in time for the Academy Awards or something. Back in World War II, the, the U.S. did not enter that war for two full years after the Nazis started invading everywhere in Europe. That was only two full years after 1939 that Poland was invaded that drew the rest of the Allied powers into the war. He was already invading countries starting in 1936. The U.S. had nothing to do with any of that stuff. Great Britain wasn't involved. Yeah. Like that was, I mean, it was, was it still the UK? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it was the United Kingdom of England and Northern Ireland at that point, but that, that wasn't involved. <laughs> and that, and they're, they're on the same continent. So this is just starting and we're all treating this as if, you know, as if we're going to try to sprint through a marathon. We, we, we won't yeah. be able to make it. People are going to go nuts. If they try to keep up this sort of frenzied news consumption pace that, that they've all been doing right now. And I mean, this is, I'm directing that, those comments at myself too. Like this idea of like checking to see what's happened today. 
You, yeah. you can't do it. You can't live your life someplace else. You can't be so attached to day-to-day affairs that are thousands of miles away. Even when it's something horrific, like Russia invading Ukraine, we can't keep up this kind of pace. I think that's – I'm seeing a lot of this sort of um, – that already, even after just over a – just a couple of weeks, this Ukraine fatigue is starting to set in. I mean, people bitch about how how short everybody's attention spans are and it's all social media's fault and everything like that. I don't think that there was any point in human history where we could have kept up this kind of attention to something that happened so far away. Even if we would have had the ability yeah. of knowing, we weren't doing that. You can imagine somebody who is living their life, working some job in a factory in England in the 1880s, and they're talking about the the war going on in South Africa. Yeah. They get a newspaper and maybe there's a new story every couple of days about the war going on in South Africa. That's the extent of it. The people who are there dealing with it, involved in it, those are the ones who unfortunately have to live with it every day. And right. for everybody else, it, it you you simply can't do it. You can't sustain that attention for an extended period of time. We're going to be we're going to be doing I, this Russia stuff for a while now, I think. I don't think this is going to stop anytime soon. This is different than just a bunch of people saber rattling and trying to get everybody's attention and get everybody else to back down so that they get what they want. There are troops, there are bullets flying. There are dead people. There is a lot of crossover between the the favorite villain, the Nazis after World War II. Uh, I mean, <laughs> to to the degree that we have Indiana Jones fighting, we literally Nazis have been recording for less than why an hour. They be Nazis? And, and he's bringing up Nazis. <laughs> yeah, and and we. I guess I guess, I, guess uh, I, I brought him up first, so <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Nazis being the villains in in so many different story arcs, not only in in media but also in our interactions where. You have people who are calling Antifa Nazis and fascists. Uh, it's become such a, a part of our dialogue that it's it's the go-to villain of whatever my other guy is saying. He's a Nazi. Yeah. My 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 debate debate opponent is yeah. a Nazi, and in some cases they actually are literally neo Nazis, as we were talking about in our last episode. What what's a little bit wild to me about that? Is that not only do we have the Russian president saying we're go- going into denazify right. this, <laughs> but uh, we we also see this kind of dialogue on social media so very much. Whatever your opponent believes, they're Nazis, and that becomes such a part of the di- dialogue that the term itself has become fucking meaningless. Yeah. Just like socialist has well, become meaningless. I think it's used largely in a meaningless way. I mean, it does mean something. Yeah, for sure. This is not what goes on. Like, your point is totally taken. I totally agree. You know, calling somebody from from Antifa a, a fascist is obviously ridiculous, at least in the way that it's commonly done. That said, it is entirely conceivable that there could be a group with fascist tendencies, you know, they sort of, they, uh, on, you know, on the, the on the fascist attributes, you know, that maybe they have five out of 10 of fascist attributes or eight out of 10 fascist <laughs> attributes. Then there's another group that calls them out for being fascist. 
and you know decides that they're you know that they're, they're going to oppose whatever it is that they're doing. Now that opposition group might call themselves anti-fascist. It doesn't mean that they also cannot embody five or six of those fascist tendencies. Also you know, correct. So yeah, you could technically have an anti-fascist group that does fascist shit. For example, communist parties. Yeah, that's a great one. Countries. Yeah. So <laughs> th- because we have to remember that fascism is not the same thing as as a uh, as a, a political organization. And the term is somewhat nebulous in in how we speak about it and also what it really yeah. means. I say that almost like like I'm saying the true meaning of Christmas. Yeah, we're right, exactly. <laughs> That's really not a uh, part of the Christmas Christmas spirit, Jules. So with all of this going on, Putin has been trying his absolute hardest to make sure that it's his version of the story that doesn't get any competition inside of Russia. To that end, he's recently ordered that the websites of many foreign news services be blocked. That list includes BBC, Reuters, Voice of America, and Radio Free Europe. He's also blocked access to Facebook and Twitter inside Russia. And in response, Facebook has removed uh, Russian media companies from Facebook in Europe. Not in the U.S. for some freaking reason. I have no... F- why? 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 Just <laughs> seriously. Why Why not in the U.S.? <laughs> It's It's like, so somehow, like, you know, propaganda coming directly from the Russian state is absolutely cool inside the US and elsewhere in North America, South America, Africa, wherever else, no problem. But Europe, no, that's a no go. And, you know, really, the re, this is not Facebook being genuine, I don't think. I think this is because the EU has been especially harsh with their antitrust actions against Facebook. Interesting. That makes this a lot of sense a, you to You know, me. this is Facebook like being put in check by the EU, much more so than anything else. This is not Facebook's, you know, having a, a conscience or trying to make some sort of decision that is in the best interest of people. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that Zuckerberg got the, uh, the uh, um, morality update last week. Did you almost he? call him Zuckerbot? the russian parliament has also approved a new media law that criminalizes reporting of what they call false information and quote discrediting the russian military the new law threatens a 15-year prison sentence or a fine of 1.5 million rubles which is about fourteen thousand dollars an example of something that would break that new law could be reporting on Russian casualties from the invasion of Ukraine, but not using the official Russian Defense Ministry data. So if you get data from some other source and it might say like, oh, it's actually this much in comparison to what the Russian Defense Ministry has been saying, you're going to jail. In order to protect their journalists from the new media law, CNN will stop broadcasting in Russia. and. BBC and Bloomberg have also stated that they're going to suspend the work of their journalists who are in the country. Basically, they, yeah, just to keep them from being, uh, being at risk. There's also more than a few tweets from journalists that have been working inside Russia who have been actively fleeing the country or trying to flee the country. 
There's talk of airports shutting down flights that go into uh, into European nations. So everybody's trying to get that last flight, train, bus, whatever, out of Moscow and St. Petersburg. Yeah, get out while you still can. There's been some pushback, uh, like I just mentioned, Facebook in Europe. But there are also Cogent Communications, which is the second largest internet provider in Russia, has just cut off service. No internet access. Wow. So if you had Cogent in Russia, wow, you don't have internet anymore. So this attempt is basically, according to them, to uh, help with the effort to uh, to limit at least in some way the ability of Russian uh, Russian media, Russian state media, because there isn't much else at this point. There's very little independent media in Russia from uh, disseminating any of this uh, this information. In the U.S., DirecTV has removed RT from its catalog. I think that DirecTV removed RT from its from its uh, channel listing before this Russian media law went into effect. But either way, it is still a response from DirecTV yeah. that they do not want RT America in its channel listing anymore. And Roku followed up by removing the uh, the channel from the from their streaming app, most likely as a result of all that. RT America has officially closed up in the U.S. as of March 3rd. <laughs> it's incredible. So much of this stuff is positioning. It's exactly the same in a lot of ways as all of these different brands replacing their profile images for their social media accounts with a black square during the Black Lives Matter protests. So much of it is just posturing. When this is done in regards to climate change efforts or something like that, it's where there's some sort of a half-ass public positioning that gets widely disseminated, but then behind the scenes, they basically, it's business as usual. You wrap yourself up in climate efforts, but you don't really change how you do business. I think of that terrorist attack in Paris, and uh, everybody's profile image went to that one of the Eiffel Tower in the configuration of a peace symbol. I don't know if you remember I've that. I've blocked it out. Every, <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same... It's it, it, you may use you may as well have a a yellow ribbon on on your on your right bumper. exactly like, you know support the troops it's right the same you know, meaningless like shit. the the sash around the tree yeah for really good coverage on this kind of effort in general well, when a company makes disingenuous public statements or really superficial changes but behind the scenes doesn't really change how they do business at all in any sort of significant way. I highly recommend following the Popular Information Substack, which is just popular.info. It's operated by a journalist named Judd Legum. He has great investigative reporting about exactly this kind of corporate bullshit. M most recently, yeah. he's done great coverage about uh, corporations who have issued public statements condemning all of the, the January 6th rioters. Then after this most recent FEC filing in January, I think back in the 28th, where people have to say where they've been donating their money, you know, to what political campaigns and or yeah. rather the other way around, you know, candidates and, and elected officials have to say where they've been receiving money. And you can see that a lot of these companies have been donating to the people who have been supporting the, the January 6 rioters. So here, you know, you have the public, the public relations part of the company and, you know, the, the branding and marketing saying one thing, basically just spewing out all this bullshit. 
And then on the other side, these same companies donating to the people supporting those rioters. We've been talking a lot about the Russian disinfo campaign that has been going on. And there are info wars being waged by pro-Russian and pro-Ukrainian sor- sources. And uh, in the case of Ukraine, there, I've, I have noticed a lot less interest coming directly from the Ukrainian state. There doesn't seem to really be any with it. It doesn't seem to be anything that smells so obviously bad. They might be like yeah. sussing things a little it, bit or skewing them in their favor. Yeah, it's hard to distinguish that, the kind of like normal wartime psyop type stuff and then actual disinformation campaigns. Yeah, it's hard to know which one's which. In the case of the pro-Ukrainian narratives, we're seeing a bit of a mix of uh, Ukrainian and third-party propaganda, which like, once they get on social media, they're just off. They are spreading like wildfire as, yeah. soon, as, as soon as it hits social media. As the example we were giving earlier, the, yeah, the Arma video game is- <laughs> that immediately gets millions of views. You also have these pithy quotes that may or may not be true. We were talking earlier about how Ukrainians and Russians, and I would probably include other Eastern Europeans in this, have this macabre mm. poetry to their language. I can't think of any other single group who speak in this way. One sentence and your heart is ripped out. And uh, to that point, we've seen one phrase repeated a lot in popular social media shares. And uh, I think that it should be the slogan of the I think it should be the slogan of the country. (laughs) Go. Yeah. (laughs) It should be the slogan of the Ukraine country. And go fuck yourself. (laughs) Go fuck yourselves. (laughs) From Zelensky to stories about Ukrainian soldiers and, and even women with sunflower seeds, the narrative seems to be this sort of rancorous defiance in the face of overwhelming force. It's a kind of underdog narrative. I, I would even call it hopeless romantic. I know that's not exactly the meaning of the term, but it's kind of like this hopeless, we're going we're gonna to die here, so Look we may as well say the fuck The average you. person in these areas going all the way back through like into czarist russia look at everybody's lives this 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 is a hard part of the world you get out of the czarist years and then you get into the soviet years hard again in ukraine specifically we had the czars and then for the period of the russian civil war you had nestor makhno leading the the makhnovists who were anarcho communist to both fight the white armies and then the red armies against uh, against Lenin and subsequently Stalin. Then uh, you have this very brief period from czars to USSR, and then another brief period after the dissolution of the USSR, where, uh, yeah, you get to be an independent country again. Well, maybe. But and you have then, Russia fucking coming in again. And, and look at, look at how bad things were in the nineties and both, and, and for the average, the life of the average person in both of these countries. The economy in both of these areas was terrible in the night, in the nineties. After the Soviet Union finally fell apart and these, these former bloc countries were gaining independence, 
the economy in these places was terrible. And now, yes, it is, it is, I'm sure, a whole hell of a lot better than it was under the Soviet, under the Soviet regimes. But both of, both Russia and Ukraine are dominated by oligarchs now. The corruption in these places yeah. is insane. I mean, just a series of events that the people living in the average person living in these places has had to go through. It's not it's not surprising that they would have this kind of humor. I, I think we're we're learning a lot about Russians and Ukrainians <laughs> right now. Absolutely. There have been a handful of different things that have been probably not true that are promoted as morale boosters for Ukrainian troops and Ukrainian people. One of the things that we've seen is uh, Zelensky said, I need arms, not a ride. Or I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. But even this came from an anonymous U.S. State Department source. What, what the fuck does that even yeah, mean? Who knows if he ever actually said those words? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still following the same narrative. To some extent, it doesn't really matter. This is part of the discussion of what's propaganda, what's disinformation. Propaganda doesn't have to be false. It can be true in essence, even if it's being exaggerated. The true in essence is that yeah. Zelensky's holding strong and he hasn't gone anywhere. He's right there in the middle of everything. There were evidently offers that were put on the table to get him out of the country it was in that context that he supposedly said something along the lines of, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. I've never seen so many good pithy quotes in, in the I news know, right? as right now. <laughs> so, but just because the source <laughs> I mean, is vague or, you know, possibly even not real at all. Dubious. Does not mean that people have not fallen <laughs> for it and jumped on it. I, you could, as soon as that was put out there. People were tweeting it, posting on Facebook. It was all over the place as a testament to the fortitude of the Ukrainian spirit in the midst of all of this, you know, this ter- these terrible circumstances. Well, I mean, even even friend of the pod. Don't call her uh, that. No, we, she will always be known as the QAnon congresswoman from Colorado. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I just I just thought that since Blavatsky got friend of the pod status in a previous episode, no, we're just giving it out to everybody. We do not give it out to everybody. Even uh, even <laughs> QAnon aficionado, uh, food poisoning purveyor, Lauren Bobert got in on on the uh, the Zelensky action hero thirst trap. This is from a tweet from her on February twenty sixth. Justin Trudeau went into hiding because trucks honk their horns. I mean, did he really? Did he go into hiding? I think he was like, yeah, I think he was like doing I mean, did he go into government hiding? business the entire time. They didn't even have a fence set up in front of their, in, in front of the <laughs> parliament building during the entire protest. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. Clearly not a problem for him. Joe Biden hightailed it out of DC for a basement in Delaware. I, again, I don't know when that happened. Yeah. I, and, and, if we're talking about that time period when the January 6th rioters were occupying the cap- the entire Capitol building, yeah, I think that that's pretty standard to secure the safety of the president. Yeah, they literally evacuated it. Yeah. Everybody left, including you, Lauren Bobert. <laughs> yeah. You were not there either. <laughs> um, 
And then the last the last part go, reads, Vladimir Zelensky is in the front lines defending his country against an invasion. Not all leaders are created equally. Then she followed that up with, or maybe came right before it, I don't know. Quote, I need ammunition, not a ride, is the new live free or die. Jeez, I mean, how about live, uh, live, laugh, love while we're at it? Anything else you want to add there, Bobert? The the really confusing thing about this to me isn't so much that she got caught up in in retweeting this this supposed quote from Zelensky, but that somehow Zelensky is Bobert's Bobert. I, I still don't know how to pronounce her name. I, well, you I have to pronounce I, the T because it, it's it's French. Yeah, if and, you don't means, pronounce the T, yeah, so it's got to be Bobert. To them. Yeah. So Zelensky is now Bober's hero for somehow, and I have no idea how that works. And you can follow this here. She loves Trump. Trump loves Putin. And Zelensky fucked Trump by not turning over dirt on Biden during the 2016 election. Like, remember the impeachment? That was what it was about. Trump withholding military aid to Ukraine because he wanted dirt on Biden. Yeah. So... How does Bobert like this guy? I I really don't know. I don't know how that works. I actually I actually hunted through a bunch of her ridiculous tweets. I'm so sorry, Sean. For quite a while to see if she said anything positive about Putin. I'm I would be really surprised if she didn't, but I could not find a tweet. And and she hasn't she hasn't reversed course either and said Zelensky is bad or He's weak, but I, that doesn't surprise me too much because that seems to be what the far right wing of the Republicans, which is basically all the Republicans at this point, seem to be doing. They're all criticizing Putin now because that's what you do. Which is a bit of a shift in gears. It seems almost to me that they hadn't decided on the Republican position ahead of time where usually they already figured it out. Right. No, nobody told Tucker Carlson how he's supposed to think. <laughs> so he was just left on his own. I want to bring something up about, uh, I'm going to, I'm just saying Bobert now about Lauren Bobert. <laughs> Jules, did you see any of her live tweets during Biden's State of the Union? Uh, I did not. I'm sure that they were gems. I'm positive that they were gems. You probably already know that because it was, it was widely covered that. Uh, Bobert and Marjorie Taylor Greene both stood up and booed Biden. I did hear that. Specifically when he was talking about uh, increasing funds for cancer research and talking about his dead son. (laughs) (laughs) That was the moment they chose. I mean, of all the things that he was talking about, uh, they were pro-cancer, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) What's the story? One of her absolute best tweets during, during his speech when Biden was talking about proposed nursing home regulations was wondering if they would also apply to the White House. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to move on. (laughs) All these Zelensky hero stories are obviously a deliberate effort to put him as a man of the people, leading from the front lines. Uh, I, I can only imagine him wielding a saber atop a horse. And we, we see this very much promoted from the Ukrainian state. It's, it's not untrue exactly. And for obvious reasons, it's really good for morale. Yeah. To see their leader in the middle of everything doing his job while they're doing their jobs. Everybody has a job. 
when he shows up at a, a at a press conference, he he's got this attire and and this demeanor that's that that says uh, that he's part of the fight. His apparel it's basically dress down BDUs, where he right. has like the green T shirt and the uh, basically the military sweater jacket. Yeah, and uh, and in one in one video I saw he pull literally pulls up a chair. With the rest of the reporters, instead of standing behind the podium that was laid out for him, I think the mm-hmm. podium was probably there so that he could ignore it and pull up the chair. It was. I'm a prop. sure it was all part of the. Yeah, it was just a prop <laughs> so that he exactly so he could walk right by it and go sit down with the press yeah. pool. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's a narrative that's working for whatever it's worth. That's the narrative that's going. Yeah, because Zelensky has captured the imagination of the entire West. Yeah true to this same you know the same um image that they want to project during at least the first round of the peace talks that it took place in belarus behind uh, between ukraine and russia the ukrainians showed up in military uniforms in in battle uniforms and the russians showed up in suits yeah and what fucking optics for that too this is propaganda it's not necessarily false we we could see the same thing here. Like think about I don't I forget that uh the 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 painter's name, but the guy who paints uh Trump at, you know with all the like like Rambo or something <laughs> like that. There, so this is this came to mind because there like there was uh I was looking at um at some photos from this past CPAC a couple a week or two ago, and there were cutouts that you could take pictures with of Trump. With a tank top and these rippling muscles and a bandana that says "Make America Great Again," and he's he's got a big um, M60 machine gun. <laughs> it's basically the Rambo movie poster, but with Trump's head, except it's all been you know repainted and everything like that. That is also propaganda. It just happens to be total bullshit. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't quite have the same physique that's presented in the art. Not quite. But you look at Zelensky in those t-shirts. He actually does have a good physique. I mean, the guy is <laughs> he like, doesn't he's look bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, he is definitely one of the most, one of the most fit comedians I've ever seen. You know, in the same sense, we, we see this kind of propaganda about Putin, but it's, it's a little more over the top and 1980s exactly. themed movie. Also, yeah. He's always got a shirt off riding a horse. Probably wrestling a bear or something. I don't remember. I, I love I love the ones where he shows up at like the the sambo competitions because he's a you know he's a sambo guy. Sambo is a is a Russian martial art. It's not like ancestral or anything. It's relatively modern. Putin was he was big into sambo, so he shows up and he's got the red gi top and the spandex shorts, just like all these other guys. Except he's fifty years older than they are. Yeah. Is that a Russian-Ukrainian thing, too, being uh, fit and ridiculously over the top? I, I, I don't know if I want to generalize it so much from what I've seen, but I definitely think that there is a um, – there's an admiration for that kind of uh, of man's man sort of persona. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I'd say the same about Ukraine. I don't think Zelensky really fits that role. Well, he's definitely he's not doing that do kind that. of imagery. I mean, his, yeah, his I, is... I don't think he's... His is not shirtless riding a horse. Yeah, and I don't think he ever tried to do that kind of thing necessarily before this invasion. Yeah. 
I don't think that that was part of, you know, some sort of an image campaign and the way it was for Russia. That was a, that's a very tactical image making that they're doing with Putin. Well, there are a few other things that are true or mostly true that we've seen coming out of these info wars. I'm going to keep using that phrase, but every time I say it, I'm going to think about our, our friend. Um, they're turning the frogs gay. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> There's a beer company or or a, a brewery, if you will, in Ukraine in Lviv. I don't know it, how to pronounce it. It doesn't, it, exactly. need, it doesn't need to be an if you will. It actually is a brewery. <laughs> Here's Sean roasting my phrasing of things again. <laughs> <laughs> Only the stuff I can't cut. <laughs> uh, Pravda Brewery started switching their production. We can remember how in during COVID, a lot of these uh, breweries in and and uh, other companies that were making like vodka and things like that in the United States switched some of their production to making hand sanitizer. Right. Well, we we saw something kind of similar in Ukraine with Pravda Brewery, but they switched their production to making Molotov cocktails. Some of this is sort of like exaggerated in the sense, like, I don't think they're actually like bottling gasoline. I, I, I think you're correct about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that they're, they're providing materials. I, I don't know how much, how many Molotov cocktails they're storing in their brewery. This this story was hard to verify in any meaningful way. Yeah, but I did see. Now I do know that there is wide scale Molotov cocktail production going on. It's a real. And I know that thing. I can say I can I know in quotation marks because I've seen pictures of the backs like the the trunk of a car full of Molotov cocktails. Yeah, you know, like that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, and 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 videos on Twitter are are abound for this sort of notoriously Molotov. reliable sources. Oh yeah. Well, where else do you get your news? Right, right. We we also have the image that I saw on Twitter when I was first introduced to the story. It was three beer bottles that d- depicted Putin and the the beer bottles, the title of the beer bottle. This was before the war, by the way, that they were producing this beer. Uh, translates to something like, Putin is a dickhead. That's nice. <laughs> so... I mean, they were already drinking this beer before the war. They haven't been fans for a while. He <laughs> took Crimea. Yeah. Of course they're not fans. And there was another one that was a Georgian oil tanker. And depending on, on which translation. Depending on, on, on the source, where, you, where the story came from, it's either an oil tanker or possibly a maintenance ship in the Middle East. Yeah. This was this was uh, basically the first mate saying uh, to to the Russian ship. He says, "Are you you look Russian? Are you Russian?" And then the ship responds, "Yes, we're Russian." And then uh, the guy says, "I see a ship from Russia. We refuse to refuel you, Russian ship. Go fuck yourself." So what we learn here is that the 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 Georgians have a very similar sensibility to the Ukrainians. And remember, <laughs> Russians invaded Georgia, too. Oh, yeah. Well, we were just talking about Kazakhstan for our January 6th episode. I mean, not recently, but 
not also not that long ago. Yeah, absolutely. Then uh, they had a follow up. This this was I, I found this even more funny than than the go fuck yourselves comment. <laughs> the the Russian ship says allegedly, guys, leave the politics. We're almost out of fuel. And then they responded, well, if you're almost out of fuel, you have oars. Row. So, so some of this is, I mean, this recording is actually available. So this really did take place. Yeah, you can see the guy on the intercom. And, and, and the recording has been, you know, has been put out there. So now is it, a, is it a real recording? I mean, do they record every communication with every ship that they encounter? Somebody who knows more about these about those sorts of matters should probably just tweet at us or tell us we're full of shit or whatever. That that's the question there. I don't I don't know if that's a real thing. Somebody verify it. And, and as it turns out, that Russian ship got refueled by another ship a little bit later, anyways. So this was just yeah. a, another propaganda piece where they said, "Go fuck yourself." And this is all like part of this story that everybody in the West, who for obviously good reasons, who are against the the Russian invasion, they're looking for something to hold on to. They're looking for these these inspirational moments. That's why this shit is so popular. Absolutely. And it's hilarious. Right. And that's part of it, too. All right. So tell us about Snake Island. Yeah. Their I, reference, I love this one. They, I actually got caught up in this one in the beginning. In the very beginning, I was like, holy shit, that's fucking amazing. I cannot tell you how many times... How many times somebody has told me about what, about this incident? Snake Island is probably where we get that phrase, go fuck yourself. I don't even, I, 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 I take that back. I don't know if it's probably where they're getting this phrase and repeating it, but a lot of the articles that I have been reading keep saying it's probably a reference to Snake Island. There were 13 soldiers. They were basically border guards on this very tiny island. It's off the southern coast of Ukraine. What happened here is the Russian ship said, we're going to bomb you if you don't surrender. And you can hear in the video, there's video of this too. You can hear, or in the recording, you can hear in the recording, they talk it over very briefly and they agree to say in response, go fuck yourselves. So the threat is there. You can hear it in the recording that, that the Russian ship says, we're going to bomb you. You're going to die. Right after that, communications cut from the Ukrainian government on on the mainland. So they assumed that exactly what you would think happened, happened. Yeah, that they were all dead. That they were all dead. I think I even read in in one spot that they were talking about awarding them medals posthumously and things of that general nature. It was initially reported across the media, across the mainstream media, that these guys were dead. And then a few days later, they sent a humanitarian mission to check on the status of those soldiers. Turns out the soldiers were alive, and the Russians captured the humanitarian mission too. I mean, I, I think we should point out that the, the reason that we're talking about this isn't to just sort of like go down a list of all the, all the shit that's happened so far. At, le- at least for, you know, for my part, the reason to talk about these things is that each of these incidents, including the... I'm just going to throw this one in here too. The the next one that we have on this list is the uh the Ukrainian woman, the old woman who you know, who's, uh, approaches the the armed Russian soldier and said, "Take these seeds and put them in your pocket so at least sunflowers will grow when you're all when you all lie down here." 
all of this stuff, whether or not, I mean, it's, it's, the, the details are foggy at first. And then as there's more resolution, we find out, well, these things didn't happen. It didn't happen exactly as it was said, or, you know, maybe it was a dubious source or something like that. All of these incidents have been used by Putin supporters. And I mean Putin supporters in the West. I have no idea what's going on in Russia regarding these kinds of things, whether they even know about these events. But what's going on with Putin supporters in the West, the people who do know about these things and have the possibility of learning also that the reality is a bit different than, than the, than the narrative that's being put out there. All of these things are being used as evidence that the media is lying. Yeah. Now we found out it didn't actually happen. They were, everybody said that the soldiers on Snake Island were killed. Now it turns out they're alive. Okay. It was very legitimate to believe that the soldiers had been killed. They were threatened with art artillery bombardment from the ship. If they didn't surrender, they told the ship, go fuck yourself. So you'd imagine. Especially when their communications were cut. But then the communications were cut. No word after you assume they're dead until you learn otherwise. So that's what goes out is the assumption that they were killed. As soon as it was revealed that or discovered rather that they were in fact alive. It was mainstream media that reported that fact. It wasn't hidden. Yeah. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't found out. It was literally reported by mainstream media. It was the same sources saying, ah, follow up, correction. This, the same, you know, the same thing goes with the, the comment about, uh, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. As soon as that started getting questioned in a significant sort of way, the Putin supporters out there in the West, they all rallied around this as another example of disinformation, but coming from Ukraine. Yeah. And that's really why we're talking about all this. These are examples of propaganda, but this is not disinformation. I think we're going to get into that a little bit more later, but... I mean, maybe we will get into that, but I thought it just felt like it was appropriate to mention that now as we're going through this kind of laundry list of examples yeah, of for sure. propaganda. We have another one here. You know, on this list about the find your dead Russian soldier hotline. This one here, it's very real. <laughs> it's been verified yeah, by very reputable sources. You have this hotline that friends and family of Russian soldiers can call to find out if their family member or friend is dead or captured. Part of this is spreading the idea that you're being told something very different. By the Russian government. This is very much part of a propaganda campaign directly from the Ukrainian government. I wouldn't say it's a dishonest campaign per se, but it's clearly part of this propaganda. Absolutely is. I mean, this is Ukrainians know that Russians, especially the family members of Russian soldiers, are not getting accurate information about what's going on with their loved ones. Exactly. We we've been seeing tons of different things in social media, Telegram, Twitter, all these different places from Russian the families of Russian soldiers finding out that either their family member or friends have been killed or that they're captured. And in the case that they're captured, they're calling them. And there's even these images and, and videos that you can see of these Russian soldiers calling their family saying yeah. they lied to us. They didn't tell us the truth. I can't believe I'm here. I, 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 I didn't believe it and all the rest of it. And their family on the other end being shocked. 
this is part of that same narrative. Mm-hmm. But we, I mean, it's all over social media. And uh, the, again, that doesn't make it a fact. It just means it's out there. It just means it's out there. It's it's part of this discussion that's happening. It's very closely related to another one that's actually I know, verified. I love this one. <laughs> this one is actually brilliant. This is hilarious. Yeah. Russian prisoners of war in Ukraine will be released if their mothers come pick them up. <laughs> this is from a... Uh... From a Bloomberg <laughs> article from Sarah Kopit on March 3rd. The Ukrainian military has a message for the mothers of Russian soldiers captured in Ukraine. Come pick them up in Kiev. According to the Ukraine Ministry of Defense Facebook page, Russian prisoners of war will be released to their mothers if the women personally travel to Kiev for the reunification. <laughs> Given Russia's invasion, the process laid out by the Ukrainians is multifaceted. First, Russian mothers are directed to a telegram channel or dedicated phone lines to confirm their sons are actually in Ukrainian custody. Then, the Russian women are asked to travel to Kaliningrad, Russia, or Minsk. Oh, sorry. Then, the Russian women are asked to travel to Kaliningrad, Russia, or Minsk, Belarus, where they will need to take a bus or taxi to the Polish border. From there, mothers should locate any border checkpoint with Ukraine where they will be escorted into Kiev and the Russian soldiers will be handed over. Wow. What? It's, what fuck, it's br- fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how embarrassing is that? Like, we're, we're going to let your kid go if your mom comes pick him, to pick him up. <laughs> it's like a school child. It's really good. Well, the Ukrainian national slogan comes up again with go fuck yourself on Ukrainian signs. Well, not exactly, but that's again propaganda versus reality. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a half truth. There there was this digitally altered image that promoted a campaign that is a real campaign in Ukraine from the Ukrainian government. I I, I forget what the Ukrainian name for this department is. Yeah, I don't remember which ministry. But it's it was basically either, it's but... basically like roads and signs and shit, and. <laughs> And and they they did ask the Ukrainian people to take down signs or to uh, deface signs to make it hard for Russian troops to travel through Ukraine. Well, to promote this, they posted a sign that is digitally altered to to say "Go fuck yourself," but it doesn't just say "Go fuck yourself." This one, <laughs> this one's really good. Uh, it says. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself again. Then it says, go fuck yourself back to Russia. Truly incredible. Uh, Google even participated. The next day, they disabled certain features of Google Maps, including live traffic and how busy map locations are. So think when you're going to visit a restaurant, how many people are there? How busy is the restaurant? When you can see that on Google Maps, that's the feature we're talking about. This is something that's been done many times. I mean, we, we, we see stories since World War II of, of this kind of a thing, and also especially sure. in Eastern Europe and in France. Basically, just trying to confuse the invading force. They don't know the terrain. They don't know their, dire- their way around. So they actually use the, the, the road signs that are there to find out which way they should be going. Obviously, you want to you mess with that. You, know, you want to make it a little bit harder. Because how much better would it be 
if they went the wrong way for 10 miles <laughs> and then they had to turn this whole column of, of armored vehicles around. Yeah. It really seems like there's a mixed bag of supporters for Ukraine or Russia. This this one really took me off guard. I didn't see who was going to be supporting which thing coming necessarily. And you could probably see some of some them. Of them. I mean, it's some not of them. terribly surprising some of these. <laughs> some of these are not terribly surprising, but uh, some of the splits in in some of the camps are are a little surprising to me. And what is something that I've grown accustomed is the solidarity in the camps. It, it seems like there's a relatively unanimous chorus of voices from each camp in, in the last handful of years. I mean, probably longer, but especially in the last handful of years, if you're in the libertarian camp, here's your talking points, even if they weren't fed to you directly from the libertarian party. If you're in the anarchist camp, here's your talking points. If you're in the Democrat camp, here's your talking points and so forth. It really seems like there's not that kind of fucking consistency in the ideological camps sharing and saying these different viewpoints and even the narratives within these view viewpoints. Uh, we, there will be. Huh? <laughs> there will be. Oh, they'll figure it out. They, they, they were just taken a little off guard, I think. Again, this has been going on for two weeks. Yeah. It seems like it's been at least months. Among those narratives, the most split and the most surprising to me has been the U.S. right-wing narratives. They're so split that we even have Tucker Carlson contradicting himself within a very short order of time. Now, not that he doesn't contradict himself over a long stretch of time, sure, but the, the about face that he made is a chef's kiss. I, I think that the explanation for this is a lot more obvious than it might seem. He doesn't believe in anything. And so he's, he's really just shifting back and forth between saying the one inflammatory thing and then saying the other inflammatory thing. When every, when all the Democrats were up in arms about this, about Russia gathering forces on the Ukrainian border before the, before their invasion, Tucker Carlson was out there just rooting for Putin. Yeah. He was <laughs> rooting for Putin. <laughs> he was talking about how. You know, he thinks that, that Putin is a, is a great person and he's in, he's in favor of all of this. And, you know, we should really be paying attention to him and you, and seeing him as an example for the type of leadership we need in the U.S. And now it's all paraphrasing, but, and then now we see, you know, that he's totally gone back the other direction. So we have, you know, to illustrate all of this, we have some lovely clips. Uh, th this first one here is a, a, a compilation that I am, I'm, uh, that I saw on MSNBC. They're covering all of the, not just all the times that, that Tucker was expressing his love for Vladimir Putin, but also the effect that it has on Russian media. So much so that they sought him out a number of times. Russian media has sought Tucker Carlson out a number of times. To be the person in in Western media that's going to interview Putin because they want an easy you know they want an easy audience that's going to just throw softballs at him. Now, one of the biggest cheerleaders for Russia as it threatens to invade a peaceful and sovereign country is the host of the number one show on Fox News. Why do 
I why care about what's going on in the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. Because, and I'm serious. Like, why do I'll I tell you why. And why shouldn't I root for Russia, because which I am? At this point, NATO exists primarily to torment Vladimir Putin, who, whatever his many faults, has no intention of invading Western Europe. Vladimir Putin does not want Belgium. He just wants to keep his Western border secure. Wait a second. Why is it disloyal to side with Russia, but loyal to side with Ukraine? That kind of perspective has created tension for Tucker Carlson in some parts of the Republican establishment, with certain Republican senators supposedly pushing back against Carlson's support for Russia. But Axios reports that Carlson's pro-Russia message has found a home with Republicans facing tough primary challenges, especially those in the House. GOP operatives working in 2020-2022 primary races tell Axios they worry they'll alienate the base if they push to commit American resources to Ukraine or deploy U.S. troops to Eastern Europe. And Carlson knows that, telling Axios, quote, I really hope that Republican primary voters are ruthless about this and vote out any Republican who believes Ukraine's borders are more important than our borders. Carlson's point of view has also won him positive reviews in the Russian state media, where they have gone out of their way to highlight his work. This is how it looked last month with one of Russia's most watched networks played a clip where Carlson defended Russian anger about NATO involvement in Ukraine. And because of all that glowing coverage he's getting on their state media, the Daily Beast reported just days ago, some of the Kremlin's biggest mouthpieces are openly calling for Putin to be interviewed <laughs> by none other than Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, so the Putin love is over for Tucker. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy Monday. No sane American approves of what Russia has done in Ukraine. We certainly don't, and we don't know anyone who does. <laughs> <laughs> you see Democrats pretending that their political opponents are responsible for the invasion and somehow support it. So Joe Biden and his staff so mismanaged the world that Vladimir Putin invades Ukraine after Biden told us for months he could prevent that from happening, and yet all of it is your fault. So that's a slanderous lie. In this country, virtually everyone understands that the invasion of Ukraine is bad. It's bad for us and for the world. And Vladimir Putin is bad, too. <laughs> so effectively, in America, those are settled facts. We can stop debating them. The question is, what do we do next? Vladimir Putin's badness doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to think clearly about how to protect this country and the rest of the free world in that order. In fact, Putin's badness makes wise decision-making in the United States badness? more important Like, that's the word he's going to use? At the same time, it makes wise decision-making harder to achieve. It's not easy Jesus to Christ. you when you're angry. I, I, it is absolutely amazing how he, he manages to slip in that dig where he blames Biden for Putin invading another country. It makes me think of when people blame <laughs> oil prices on the president. Yeah, uh, because they control international markets. Well, he controls everything, obviously. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. In contrast to this, we have the liberal diehard narrative. It's not just the Republican camp or the or the conservative camp. We also have the diehard liberals doing the same sort of a thing where you're you're reading into the news whatever you can shoehorn into your program. It doesn't fit very well some of these times. We we have the Daily Show clip 
where uh, they they have this funny bit that's talking about Tyrantall. And while, of course, The Daily Show is comedy, it's not necessarily news, I think I read somewhere that The Daily Show is like the number one news source for uh, some segment of viewers. I don't remember what it is. That's terrifying. It's very terrifying. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's 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 part of how how this really does translate into actual news because they're watching it people watch it they know it's comedy but they also know it's part actual news well they're assuming that and that's a significant part of this problem is that sometimes in the effort to put together something that's just meant to be funny or propel you know propel a story or an attitude forward even if you don't have the material that you need to do it you're somehow going to find it in this clip where they're to, you know they're making up a fake medication for 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 pundits who in one moment love a tyrant and in another in another moment hate him obviously this is putin they're talking about they they have the tucker carlson segment which is fine this is exactly the same type of thing that we just did a couple of minutes ago and then they 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 end it with a trump section they have all these clips of trump loving on putin and then they talk about trump criticizing putin's invasion of ukraine it's this middle section with Mike Pompeo. Either they didn't try hard enough or they just couldn't find something that matched. But what they got were two clips, one from Pompeo, who is now a correspondent or contributor or whatever for Fox News. That's that's when we put out Repu uh, politicians to the pasture as we turn them into. Oh, uh, well, actually, I, I, I like to think of it as this is actually the real career and all that State Department shit was just him, <laughs> his university training so he could be on Fox News. So they have a clip from a Fox News interview that he gave. Then they contrast that with uh, with his speech at the, uh, the recent CPAC. In the clip, they just managed to find this little segment where he heaps praise on Putin as an effective statesman. And then the CPAC speech is where he's condemning the invasion and all this stuff. But it's this, you know, the, the, the loving Putin part is really the problem here. They couldn't just cut Pompeo out of it. But what they did as soon as I found the, the entire interview is see that there is a lot of context here. He's describing Putin as being somebody who's serious in that interview and should be taken seriously. That we need to regard the troop buildup as a legitimate threat that should be paid attention to. And then he talks about these attributes that Putin, that he believes Putin to have as evidence of why we should take all of that so seriously. There's really not a contradiction here. Now, at some point in the state in his career as Secretary of State, you might be able to find something where he does praise Putin. But again, this is the sitting Secretary of State of the United States talking about the leader of a foreign nation. If you yeah. do find that clip where you have Pompeo heaping praise on Putin in one way or another while he's the Secretary of State. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just, you could chalk that up as diplomacy as well. Um, unless we're going to try to instigate a conflict with somebody, why would you expect to find insults? Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It, of, of course. And it's the same way that, like, when Fox News, if they if they were, or or some, you know, not even Fox News, I mean, who cares about them? But if you were to find a bunch of right-wing trolls online, because honestly, they probably sway opinion a lot more than what Fox News is doing now, and you find Anthony Blinken 
saying something positive about somebody who we would otherwise consider to be despicable and so in another context again secretary of state yeah absolutely and i should point out about this video they make heavy usage of ussr imagery with the right. red and the sickle and hammer jesus christ that was 30 years ago i i know I was, that is i was yeah. born 2 years before the berlin wall fell i don't know that that whole thing was funny for about two seconds, and then you realize just how hackish it is. It's so fucking hacky. It's so bad. And that is something that these folks are sharing with these online Twitter tankies. I listen, for for the good of the podcast, uh as as a great sacrifice to myself, uh for as a totally selfless act, I have gotten on Twitter. <laughs> or dusted off my Twitter account from many years ago. Uh, I've gotten on Telegram, Gab, all the rest of these things to listen to what the people are saying. <laughs> Jesus Christ, does it melt my brain. One of the things that I've discovered is that the leftists on Twitter uh, have some pretty fucking ridiculous ideas. And uh, I say leftist in quotation marks. There is a very strong current of very vocal people who are really excited about dictators. I know. I, I don't fucking get it. These dictators have not even been a part of any kind of at least nominally socialist or big C communist regime for decades. And, right. and yet anything that is anti the United States uh, or anything that's a pain in the ass for the United States seems to be anti-imperialist, even if it's a horrible, very capitalist, brutal dictator. And 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 it's it's all it's all couched in some sort of um MLM, not multi-level marketing, Marxist, Leninist, Maoist bullshit. Uh, it's it's incredible how far off the deep end some of these things that I see on Twitter are. There's so right. many that I have I, to fucking comment on it. It's fucking amazing that you can you can find somebody in 2022 who thinks the Cultural Revolution was a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you I should mean, listen to these or, people or talk about that, like about North Stalin Korea was a guy or, or, and or who Stalin. thinks that Stalin. No, oh, sorry, or who thinks that Stalin was a guy who really could get things done. <laughs> Holy shit! I, I and and uh, you know. We have these little tiny parties, such as the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Uh, their acronym is PSL, so I usually call them uh, the Pumpkin Spice Latte Party. But That's not a real thing. It is a real thing. I mean, they don't even exist. You're making this up. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of these little uh, tanky parties that exists in the United States. They, they ran Gloria Lariva in the last few elections. They promote these exact same sort of – I'm saying these people exist. It's not just Twitter trolls. They're out there. They're, they're, they're in the real world. Too. They're in the real they're world. Not just key, they're not just keyboard warriors. <laughs> and uh, there's an article from The Intercept. I, I wanted to get an example of this and I oddly found a perfect article for it that is specifically about tankies. I didn't think it would be this easy to find a good article. But – from the intercept, this explains what tankies are and kind of talks about what I'm saying. 
These pseudo-leftists, sometimes called tankies, a name deriving from an earlier generation of Western leftists who backed the Soviet invasion of Hungary in 1956, also defend Russia's behavior today. Other commentators like Gilbert Achar, is that right? I don't know. Other commentators like Gilbert Achar and Dan Labatz have explained this crowd's origins in detail, but the key element in the tanky mindset is the simple-minded assumption that only the U.S. can be imperialist, and thus any country that opposes the U.S. must be supported. As author and human rights activist Leila Ashami put it several years ago, the pro-fascist left seems to blind to any the pro-fascist left seems blind to any form of imperialism that is non-Western in origin. It combines identity politics with egoism. Everything that happens is viewed through the prism of what it means for Westerners. Only white men have the power to make history. In the present context, the tankies either directly defend or make excuses for Putin and Russia, even though the government is phenomenally corrupt, a crony capitalist regime led by a thug who assassinates his political opponents. The tankies tend to be correctly critical and probing about U.S. empire, but don't apply these critical faculties to Russia. They become gullible and naive when dealing with Russian officials and their narrative. It would be tempting simply to ignore the tankies, but we must repudiate them. If we don't, they will continue to give the left a bad name, especially among people fighting repressive regimes, who often assume tankies speak for the rest of us, and thus feel betrayed by Western leftists. All right, hold on. So this is what this person is saying, and I want to... I wanna. No, I, I understand uh, what the person is saying, but the position that, they, that they're taking right now... Who's this author, anyway? Uh, some author from The Intercept. All right. But... but I, authors. The but, thing I want to mention here is, what particular affinity do leftists have for Putin and Russia? So that's the bizarre part. We see this in two different ways. We're, we're seeing that they have this idea that I think is still associated with the USSR, but it's mostly rooted in anti-US as being equivalent to anti-imperialism. And I've seen it with their support of Assad in Syria. <laughs> I'm dead serious. So you have leftists that are actually monarchists. Yeah. I'm, I'm no joke. Which is about as right as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, but it's the same crowd. It's the same crowd of of. By the way, tankies is is probably a term most used by anarchists, but not not exclusive to anarchists. But well, I think it was actually it was first used by um, uh, Soviet dissidents showing up in the UK. Oh, absolutely. Because they, yeah, because they were they they used it in reference to the, all the Stalin supporters that they came across in the. Uh, I think it was the British Communist Party or Correct. the Communist Party of Britain. Correct. And it, and it refers to this sort of this mentality of send in the tanks to suppress the, the, the rebellion, like any sort of unrest, send in the tanks to crush it. Yeah. Which was Stalin's stick. And they were, you know, the, the dissidents that were escaping Stalin's regime thought that that was fucking insane. <laughs> How could you support this guy who's brutally murdering people? Yeah. I... There's no ideology at play here. He's a dictator. Absolutely. And nothing to do with, while we're on the subject, communism or socialism in any way. You know, nothing really ever does have anything to do with communism or socialism. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a theme that we discover over and over again. The more we look at these historical events, that very few people are motivated by ideology. That seems to be the only consistency. 
Well, with these Twitter trolls coming from from the tanky left, we also have anti-liberal trolls, which seems to be maybe legitimate, but I've been seeing uh, a handful, more than a handful of people complaining about how the trolls that they would get for talking about COVID or or hot button topics in favor of liberal ideas in the United States uh-huh. would immediately get just spam, spam upon spam of uh, just horrible comments and, and uh, usually missing the correct article in the speech, a or that or the, and that they have noticed all of these comments have magically disappeared. I don't know if it's true or not, but it is widespread enough that it made it to the Guardian. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily going to quote the Guardian here, but it, the title of the of the piece is "Bot Holiday Misinformation." <laughs> so I mean, it's oh my god. So, so that's definitely a title written by an algorithm. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then we also have uh, the reality that. The content machine needs to be fed. It's always fucking churning. That that is that is an underlying part of all this, you know. Just like how we were talking about this fatigue that's already setting in among people regarding the constant updates about the invasion in Ukraine. This is all tied in with this content machine. Like people feel like they have to keep producing content. Everybody's filming. Everybody's tweeting they they have to say something they have to weigh in at the topic of the moment you know whatever the this the jour fascination happens to be everybody has to has to have an opinion about it we have to take sides i have to throw up my ukrainian flag next to my next to my name on my on my social media profile i i can't not do it or if you know if i'm some ridiculous idiot i have to put up my russian flag (laughs) And there's no way out of this other than to just back out slowly and hope nobody notices you're gone. Because if you stick around in it, that's all you're going to see. You just see the for and against. Or you see the tweets from people talking about how exhausted they are. Yeah. Trying to keep up with it all. And if there's nothing to share, if people don't have anything really of any substance at all, they just make it up. They just fucking make it up. This is why we're seeing so much video game footage getting tweeted out there. Or why we see uh, video clips or still images from conflicts that have taken place in other parts of the world, in some cases years ago, being foisted on people as up-to-date information about Ukraine. Because they have nothing else. In journalism, there's this idea called piggybacking. Where you have some event that's trending that people are reading about or interested in as, as the topic of the moment. And when you piggyback an article, the idea is that you're shoehorning your bullshit into whatever this thing is, even though it's not really related. You find some way to relate it to it. So, I mean, you, that's how you get articles like, I don't, I'm not saying that this article exists, but that's how you would get an article like, uh, having a healthy relationship as a Ukrainian and a Russian and Russian in February, or or something, something that just has nothing to do with what the fuck you're talking about, but you're shoehorning it into whatever the topic of the day is. That article might not exist, 
but this one does. It was posted in Marca on the 3rd of March, three days ago. Russia-Ukraine war. How do you survive a nuclear attack? (laughs) Get under your desk. During the Russian invasion of Ukraine, tensions rose rose when Russian minister Sergei Lavrov said a third world war could be destructive. Wait, well, that's an understatement. Paraphrasing Lavrov, he mentioned that nuclear weapons could be used if there's another worldwide conflict. And then they go on to say, how do you survive a nuclear attack? You get inside. You stay inside for 24 hours. Tune the media, any media available. Battery-operated hand-crank radios, cell phones. How are cell phones going to (laughs) work? Go to the basement, middle of the building, wear a mask. All right. Um, What if I'm outside while the explosion occurs? Take cover from the blast behind anything that might offer protection. (laughs) (laughs) Lie face down to protect exposed skin from the heat and flying debris. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth if possible. If you are in a vehicle, stop safely and duck down within the vehicle. After the shockwave passes, <laughs> get inside the nearest best shelter location for protection. For protection from potential fallout. This is the best part. You will have 10 minutes or more to find an adequate shelter <laughs> before the radiation just roasts you. So you were saying about, oh, that article doesn't exist. But you know what? This one does. <laughs> and it was from two days ago. Yeah. Um, another one from New Republic. Miso soup won't protect you in a nuclear war. <laughs> MSN uh, republished an article uh, because they don't publish anything of their own anymore, I don't think. The map of where you need to go to survive a nuclear war. So, yeah. This stuff is all over. These are on the past couple of days. That's piggybacking. Yeah. These are articles that are meant to take advantage of this anxiety that people are feeling about where this conflict might lead and decide that they're just going to, instead of advising people to cool off, they're going to walk right, walk us right into it. While we're on the subject of sensationalism in journalism, you have yellow journalism, which typically references I mean, any time that I've ever heard it discussed has been in a history class or something referencing the Spanish-American War. But the fucking Pulitzer Prize came from the aftermath of the the uh, sensationalist journalism that led to the or supposedly led to the Spanish-American War. And and we had, at least in the United States, a lot of the sensationalist journalism that was looking for fucking anything that would capture the attention of the readers and sell more papers. And uh, usually what's referenced is is the conflict uh, between uh, a couple of New York publishers who were putting, putting out the sensationalist stuff, uh, tabloid-type stuff for the most part, but they also had uh, authentic new I don't know if authentic is the word, but news that you would expect to be in a legitimate news publishing company. And mm-hmm. what we saw from that is that all this shit that was whipping up sentiments against the Spanish and 
leading to the Spanish-American War led to an actual fucking war from yeah. this propaganda. This propaganda yeah. that wasn't even necessarily in favor of anything per se other than sensationalism. Yeah, it was just riling people up. It was getting their attention. You know, it, it was it was that era's version of clickbait. That is exactly what it was. And now we see clickbait again, especially with social media and how you have to get views to monetize your publishing. That's the content machine. Yeah, I mean, regardless, just get eyes on there. All of this is based in just this ad campaign. It is all about ad revenue. Everything. The longer you keep somebody on the page, the more likely they're going to click on one of your bullshit ads for whatever ha whatever Google or or what you know whatever ad marketplace is put down there in the middle of your content or in your sidebar, and that's it. You get more traffic. You sp you get them to spend more time on the page. That's more of a chance of them clicking those ads. Then you get paid for that. Absolutely. That's all that there is to it. So I think that the only question that's left here is what's going to be next? Now that we've at least in an, from a 10,000 foot view uh, surveyed this disinfo landscape, what do we do now? We're not going to be able to stop Putin's invasion from a podcast. But I think that we do have a chance to point some people who are in these conflict areas and who still have internet access to some resources that can help keep them at least relatively safely connected to others. Even before Putin started blocking foreign news services in Russia, my understanding is that for many Russians, using a VPN was already a part of life. More than just using a VPN, the Electronic Frontier Foundation has produced an extensive guide about surveillance self-defense. They go in-depth talking about how to create a security plan, an online security plan, how to keep your data safe, and how to use tools like Signal and Telegram safely so that your, your, your local government or whoever is censoring your online activity has, doesn't have as quite a good of a chance to track you or to learn what kind of, you know, what you've been communicating. The guide's available in almost a dozen languages, including Russian, and it can be found at ssd.eff.org. And I'll put that link in our show notes. For those listening, I'll, I'll, I'll say it in NATO phonetic, uh, Sierra Sierra Delta dot echo foxtrot foxtrot dot org. Getting uncensored information into Russia is also a long running problem, and it's just gotten worse with the recent internet crackdowns there. There have been a few gonzo type workarounds that I've seen, but they typically get shut down pretty quickly. Um, one from a couple of weeks ago. Well, a couple of weeks ago. My God, it really seems like it, <laughs> it was that It really long. feels so long. Literally, one from last week that has already been eliminated was leaving five-star reviews for Russian businesses like restaurants or venues on either Yandex or Google Maps, including text from Western news sources about the invasion of Ukraine. Now, the reason to leave the five-star review is because you don't want to ding those businesses, so you leave them a five-star review so that their ratings stay high, but you just fill the review with article text or links to a Telegram channel that is going to uh, have more news sources. As far as I know, that is no longer an option. Uh, another one, though, that 
is really exciting. It was spread by the host of the Eastern Border podcast. He tweeted this the other day. This is a, a service that allows you to write a text message that will be sent to a random Russian phone. Whoa. Yeah. So a, basically a random Russian phone number will receive this message. The URL for this is 1920.in. So that is 1920.in. And I'll put that link in the show notes too. The, the page that you see is a, is a GitHub repository page and it starts with pre-filled text in Russian that Google Translate tells me says, Dear Russians, your media is being censored. The Kremlin is lying. Thousands of your soldiers and Ukrainian brothers are dying in Ukraine. Find out the truth on the free web and on the Telegram app. Time to overthrow dictator Putin. So obviously you can put whatever text you like in there, but that's a pretty good start. Yeah. And since I mentioned him, Kristaps uh, Andersen's from the Eastern Border podcast, he's been in Poland at the border with Ukraine, uh, doing his best to help Ukrainian refugees and also document their stories. He's been interviewing people. And for the people who's, who, you know, whose permission he gains, he plans to release some of those interviews on his podcast. You can find the Eastern Border wherever you listen to anything else. I've also seen mentioned that uh, V Contact, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it's a Russian social media platform is still operating in Russia, although it is heavily censored. So if you were to create an account there and then just start posting Western media sources, you would probably have your profile blocked immediately. But what you theoretically could do, especially if you are, uh, if you are familiar with Russian and not Google Translate Russian, is to set up a profile and with just vague information so that you can avoid censorship, then drop Telegram links to channels that have uncensored news. I, I've, I've really become familiar with using language creatively by being on TikTok. Before mm -hmm. I, I gave up the aspiration of being a TikTok influencer, I... Oh my gosh. <laughs> I... <sighs> I, I, uh, although do I have a couple of hits, uh, I discovered that you have to be really, really careful with your language. Even the word die immediately gets you shadow banned on TikTok. So on TikTok, for example, they say unalived. Unalived. <laughs> <laughs> so you can get creative with your language and still communicate uh, in a way that, that doesn't trigger the bots. If you're interested in donating to a relief organization operating in Ukraine or helping Ukrainian refugees, you really ought to be careful. Unsurprisingly, there have already been a number of scam organizations set up that claim to be collecting donations for relief efforts and are really just funneling money into personal PayPal accounts or just pocketing your cash. This has been running on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter. Uh, individuals sometimes will live stream or post updates and claim to be in Ukraine. In reality, they—it's been discovered that they've been all over the other, all over the place. Are not Ukrainian, have nothing to do with the conflict in Ukraine, and are just looking for a way to transfer some of your money into their wallets. There's a few organizations that have been vetted by others who I trust. Global Giving is one of them that is 
definitely legitimate or almost entirely legitimate. I, I mean, you never really know, but they certainly, they certainly look good and they have a good track record. They help provide shelter, food, and clean water for refugees. Uh, the link for them will be in the show notes. World Central Kitchen is currently on the ground in Ukraine, and they have been feeding thousands, literally thousands and thousands of people. That link will be in the show notes. And also Ukrainian Red Cross has been giving out food, clothing, and medical supplies, and also assisting refugees with evacuation. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Wetwired Podcast. If you'd like to help us grow the show, we have a limited number of True Believer memberships on Patreon. For $3 a month, you can get an extra few subscriber-only episodes every month. You can also share this episode on social and follow us on Twitter at WetWiredPod. talk about the race in 2020. Sure, there's a lot of candidates in the running, but can any of them actually run? I mean, really run? I'm the last American movie star. No one runs like I do, and nobody opens a box office like me. And with your help in 2020, together, we'll dominate the ballot box. This is no stunt. But if it were... I do all those for real. Why vote for me? I'm not just your everyman. I've literally been every man. I've been a Navy pilot, a lawyer, and a Navy lawyer. My opponents will say I was a pimp in high school. It's true. But I grew up fast in NASCAR country. It started a small business, a sports agent, to set a better example. I know foreign diplomacy because I fought alongside the samurai. And I'm proud to serve our country, defending our planet against aliens twice. No, three times. I know this country top to bottom inside out, from here to here, because I've lived its history. Literally, I did. It's a vampire. I feel the need, the need to lead. As your commander in chief, no mission is impossible. So help me. Help me help you to elect me in 2020. I'm just a patriot. My birthday? <laughs> the 4th of July. I'm Tom Cruise and I'm running for President of the United States. America, you complete me. Show me twice!